Can we start with prayer? Father, <clears throat> thank you for bringing us here this week to connect with people, to learn new ideas, to explore uh, what you might have for us and how you might uh, put us to service in your kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, for each one that's uh, in this room, that, that you would just give them something they can take away, something that will be useful to them. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a goatee now, but um, it was shaved for a while. Uh, this presentation that I'm about to give now was first developed for the vice president of Liberia. And protocol in Liberia was that you couldn't have any facial hair. So I shaved off my, um, my hair and went in and never got to make the presentation. Did have a conversation. So I have a better audience today anyway. There is a cry to the church. 21,000 children die each day before the age of five, most from preventable causes. I tried to put that into perspective. I'm a Diamondbacks fan, and I know I shouldn't even say that out here, right? <laughs> um, but I was sitting in the stadium when the D-backs are uh, just doing what D-backs do, um, uh, not on top of anything. Uh, the crowd that comes together in the stadium is somewhere around 24, 25,000 people. So I was sitting in the stadium one day and I was looking at the crowd and I was thinking, 21,000 children every day before the age of five. Most from preventable causes. There are 780 million people who do not have access to safe clean drinking water. Uh, that's about one in eight of us don't have access to clean drinking water. 2.5 billion people do not have access to improved sanitation facilities. That's about one in three of us on the planet. So that seems to me to be a need that's crying out. And Jesus called the church actually to minister to himself when he said, if you have done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. The church is God's agent of transformation. What did Jesus say about his disciples? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I think sometimes as evangelicals, and I've been guilty of this as a church planter, I was busy about saving souls um, to live disembodied lives on clouds for all eternity. And I wasn't... Um, I wasn't calculating that what God wanted from me was timeless. He wanted me to bring people to faith in Christ and disciple them to walk in such a way 
that they influence their culture and the communities around them. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The church is God's agent of transformation. I think in North America, if you look at healthcare and the history of healthcare, I was born in Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. Where were you born? Maybe St. Luke's, St. Joe's. Um, you know, the Catholic Church in 2010 gave $97 billion to healthcare systems. You compare that to the World Health Organization's budget for the same year, they gave $3.88 billion in the same year. Think about education in this country. The Ivy League schools all started out as schools to equip men with character to lead in their communities. And the church is losing influence because we've lost our vision to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We've stopped trying to influence culture and as a result, we're just responding to it. And instead of shaping culture, we're being shaped by it. Because when the church fails to disciple the nation, the nation disciples the church. So what we find in the church are people with secular minds and a Christian heart. They come to church on Sunday and they worship God and they go out on Monday and conduct their business on completely secular principles informed by naturalist worldviews. Why? Because the church has lost its vision to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The church is God's agent of transformation. And I believe that church ministries should be obedient to both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. When I went to the mission field, my, my senior colleague said to me, as a church planter, if you save somebody today, uh, or if you feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. If you save their soul today, they're saved forever. And so the message to me was, you're not here to care for the physical needs of people. You're here to preach. And so that's what I did. I did uh, door-to-door evangelism. Uh, I did uh, uh, home Bible studies and Bible studies with businesses. And I did uh, radio and I did concerts and crusades. And I became the pastor of a small church in the Philippines. And for the first time in my life, I came face to face with poverty. There are families in my church without enough income uh, to know that they have food security from day to day. Who didn't have money to take their kids to a doctor when when their kids got sick. Who struggled to keep their kids in school. And I began to ask the question, What is the obligation of the church to the needs of the poor? And I'd go back to my colleagues and they would say, if you feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. If you save their soul today, they're saved forever. What is the priority? And then I realized that's a dualistic, that's a question that comes out of a dualistic worldview. It's not a fair question to ask. 
The question that we should be asking is not which of Christ's commands are we going to obey, but how are we going to obey everything that Jesus commanded? And I begin to ask myself, if I bring the truth of Jesus, but I fail to bring his touch, have they seen Jesus? If I plant a church that has no social conscience, is that what Jesus wants for his church? Are we supposed to be hidden away, uh, glorying together in our private opinions about a private faith? Or is our faith about justice? We talk about righteousness, but we separate it from justice. We talk about grace and we separate it from compassion. But those things belong together. They're two wings of a bird. And if we want to take Jesus, if we want to take Christ to community, we've got to be obedient to both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. God intended change begins with the church. The the church... um, is to reflect by its ministries the values of the kingdom and the depth and the breadth of the kingdom. When Jesus stood and talked about why he came, he came to preach good news to the poor, liberation to the captive. And in my dualistic seminaries, they taught me, well, the poor are the poor in spirit and the captive are the captive to sin. But in the context, that's not what it was at all. The gospel is good news to the literal poor. And the church and its ministries should reflect that value. Should reflect the depth and the breadth of the kingdom of God. Not separating faith from works and righteousness from justice. But integrating those things into our life and our um, ministries and our thinking and our outreach and our our sermons, and our messages. And so I'm passionate about this. And we talked about those 21,000 children dying every day from preventable causes. And I believe this. The church is uniquely positioned to respond to that need like no other institution on the face of the earth. The church is in those villages where those children are dying, where they don't have access to clean water, where they don't have access to uh, sanitation facilities. And the answers are not rocket science. In fact, we can train church people to teach about nutrition and hygiene and sanitation and how to sanitize drinking water and The church is there. I was in Papua New Guinea talking with the director for Healthy Islands Initiative, which was the community health initiative for the country nationwide from 2000 um, 2000 to 2010. The program was funded by AusAid and the World Health Organization. And as we talked, the director said to me, there's only one institution in this country with the capacity to mobilize enough people to do what we need to do in the area of community health, and that's the church. I need someone to mobilize the church. I said, I can mobilize the church, but I can't silence it. 
And he said to me, the World Health Organization and OzAid defines health as social in this part of the world, as social, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. The only problem is they don't understand spiritual. He said, as far as I'm concerned in this country, spiritual is Christian. And he gave us permission to work with the, the regional and district health offices across the country, training them to work together with the church to do community health evangelism programs. Another opportunity that's looking the church in the face right now is in South Sudan. If anybody's in South Sudan, I want to talk to you. A young government, they think of themselves as Christian. They have no infrastructure. Their greatest need is community health. The church is everywhere in South Sudan. It's in those communities where we need to take these messages. And so this is an opportunity. And church members have been commanded by the Lord to love their neighbors. So here we have these churches in villages around the world full of people who have been commanded by their Lord and Savior to love their neighbors. What a massive workforce. Jesus started a volunteer movement, right? He never paid anybody to make disciples. He commanded us all to do it. We all do it as volunteers. And we're all obedient to him in a voluntary way. Uh, and, and we can mobilize the church to respond to this health crisis around the world. The unnecessary deaths of children under the age of five from preventable causes is something the church cannot ignore. You know what I say to the church right now? This is something you cannot not do. I know that's bad English. <laughs> but it makes the point, doesn't it? This is, this is, this is something urgent and compelling Something that God wants us to do. The evil is, prepared, evil is, is prevailing around us. And children are dying from unnecessary, for unnecessary reasons. From causes that the church has the capacity to prevent. The church needs to respond. And so what is the reply of the church? To this cry. What is the reply of the church to this call? There is um, a number of different organizations and a number of different strategies out there being used to respond to this need. Um, I'm just here to tell you about one of them, uh, community health evangelism. Community health evangelism... Um, is being used by hundreds of organizations around the globe to mobilize the church for community health initiatives in villages and slums. Um, and so let me just kind of paint a picture of what it looks like. When a CHE program, and we call it CHE, uh, C-H-E, Community Health Evangelism, when a CHE program is mature, there will be uh, volunteers from the village who have been trained uh, going to visit their neighbors. They'll talk to their neighbors about the importance of clean water and they'll help their neighbors sanitize their drinking water. And then they open the scriptures and they share about the living water. And when people come to Christ, 
they're brought into small groups and they're discipled in small groups. And then those small groups can be brought together to form a church. These health workers report to a development committee. And we'll talk about why we call it a development committee rather than a health committee later on. Um, but um, this committee is elected by the community and trained by the church uh, trainers who've come in from the outside, people from the church who've come into the community to initiate and catalyze this work. Uh, they'll come in, they'll do uh, awareness, they'll help the community identify uh, why they have some of the problems that they have, what resources are available to them to address that problem, and challenge them to create a solution using those resources that, that addresses the cause. And um, when they get to a point where they're ready to act, we invite them to put together a, a development committee that will lead the effort. And so they elect people from their community to this development committee, and then the trainers train that committee in project management. So they teach them to identify causes, um, uh, identify assets, put together a plan, um, recruit people, mobilize and execute the plan, evaluate and repeat the cycle. So while the health workers are in the homes, uh, working on interventions with the family that change behaviors um, and improve health and the quality of life, you've got this committee that's doing community projects. Um, and they might be working on water systems or uh, roads or schools or electrification, um, all, all kinds of different things that have emerged from these programs based on needs identified by the committee using resources from the community um, and mobilizing the people to execute their own solutions, working against their own problems. Uh, that, that's kind of a picture of a community health evangelism program and what it looks like. Our vision is that every church be an agent of community transformation, bringing life, health, peace, and prosperity to the communities they serve. And our mission is to use the Chase strategy to mobilize and equip churches worldwide as agents of transformation. And when I talk to groups like this, you may be thinking, I want to be one of those trainers that goes into the village and works directly with the village. I think that the most strategic role for you to play as as professionals coming from the West would be to train those trainers that are going into the community and doing um, the community health evangelism programs. And there are a lot of reasons for that, which I don't have time to talk about. But community health is a platform for total transformation. The World Health Organization says it's social, mental, and physical well-being and not just the absence of disease. I would add spiritual, um, as um, the World Health Organization does in places where uh, people value the spiritual. Um, but when we talk about health, it's about relationships between people. Um, it's about peace and freedom from guilt and anxiety. Um, it's about uh, eliminating risky behaviors that... Um, that lead to uh, um, 
physical illness. Uh, and it's about a right relationship with God. And if we're truly going to transform lives and communities, all of those things which work together in us need to work together in our ministries as well. Another way to think about community health is it is restoring harmony between God, self, others, and the environment. When, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, um, chaos broke out in their relationship with each other, their relationship with God, their relationship to the environment, and their, uh, their mental state. They hid from God. They, they blamed each other. Um, their work became labor and toil. Uh, they had to fight the thorns and the thistles um, and pain in, in childbirth. Um, all of those things were a result of the curse, the fall. And the work of the church is to reverse the curse. We won't achieve that by ourselves. But our ministries should certainly bring a little bit of the kingdom of God to earth so that his values and the depth and breadth of what he wants to achieve in the lives of people is visible. Looking forward to that day when we get to heaven. Uh, There's a book by Randy Alcorn uh, that you've got to read. It's titled Heaven. And because of our dualism that comes from Greek influence through the West, traces itself back to Plato, we think of heaven as clouds and harps and all of that kind of thing. But you know what the Bible says very clearly about heaven? Heaven is is a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation, what you see is the new Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the city of God descending uh, upon the new earth and God making his dwelling among men. Heaven is going to be everything that we as human beings longed for. Our senses are going to be alive. Our capacities uh, to think and to create and to rule and to manage um, and to produce. And in fact, I think that some of those things, uh, those products of culture, uh, that, that uh, things that we have even created now that are pleasing to God may find their way into the new earth. A book you've got to read. Um, because uh, if our concept of heaven is dualistic, that works its way back into our thinking that it really doesn't matter what we do with this earth. It's going to fade away anyway. Um, and, I, I, you know, there's, there's no continuity but there is continuity. Uh, and, and, and the work that God has given us to do is timeless. Is timeless. So we're talking about harmony between God, self, others, and the environment. About reversing the curse. And bringing a little bit of the kingdom. A taste of the future. Into my um, sphere of influence right here. And right now. Some important observations about community health. It's focused on empowering people to manage their own health. One of the problems, I think, in uh, our community health systems 
has been the tendency to train professionals in a university, send them out to do a needs assessment, bring them back to make a plan, and then deliver a service. But we're not teaching people to own their own health and empowering them to manage their own health. And so when I worked at Medical Ambassadors, um, we had, uh, you know, before I arrived, they, they had medical clinics. Um, and the, these, these clinics, what we discovered is that our clinics were recycling centers. We would uh, treat somebody um, for waterborne disease. They would go back and drink the same water. And the next time we come through, we're treating the same people for the same problem. Because we worked on the curative, on the backside of the problem, rather than empowering people to manage their own health. And so that's what we're doing in community health initiatives. It emphasizes prevention rather than cure. Um, and outcomes are measured by behavior change. It requires uprooting lies and replacing them with the truth. From the development side of things, um, as I've traveled the world, I believe that, that the root of poverty, of poverty is a loss of identity and vocation. People do not see themselves as made in the image of God and stewards of resources, but rather they see themselves as victims of circumstance. And they become passive or fatalistic. Um, and rather than taking control of their lives and control of the assets that's uh, given to them, they're looking to the spirits um, or to somebody else to do it for them. Important observations. Health cannot be untangled from the complexities that contribute to poor health and therefore must be brought part of a broader community development initiative. If the problem is nutrition, I can feed them for a day, but what's the long-term solution? It's agriculture um, and education and micro-enterprise development. And these things are integrated. A study was done in a place in China. Um, people were thinking about going in to do microenterprise development. And what their research uncovered was that 60% of the income of the adjunct, uh, of the disposable income of the abject poor was being used to buy medications for diseases that were preventable. So they calculated, if I give them capital to start a business and their child gets sick, they're going to spend the capital on the child and now they're going to be in a worse condition than they were when we started because now they have debt to me, they have no business at all. And so if we're going to do microenterprise well, we have to do health at the same time. In fact, I would define health Holistically, these systems are integrated. Um, and we need um, integrated, complex solutions to these integrated, complex problems. Which means um, there is a call for generalists rather than specialists. 
for people who can work across the disciplines rather than just within them. And the way we facilitate that is through lesson plan material um, that we create so that if you're an evangelist, uh, you, you can still teach agriculture. And if you're an economist, you can still do evangelism. So that as you enter a community, you're equipped with some basic tools anyway uh, to address whatever issues arise in the community. Uh, I think in our lesson plan uh, collection now, we have more than 6,000 lessons um, covering almost everything that you would encounter in a village or community, from social addictions uh, to, to domestic violence to agriculture uh, to enterprise development to animal husbandry, um, all of those kinds of things. Some more observations um, about community health. Our aim should not be projects in a few scattered villages, but movements that sweep the countryside. And movements are sustained only by volunteer action. And so um, community health is about empowering people to take care, take responsibility for their own health, to manage their own health. Um, and we want to help them do that in a way so that what they've learned, they can teach somebody else. And what's done in one village can be done in the next village so that at least our interventions have the potential of sweeping the countryside rather than just remaining as a project in a village. Here are five keys to successful community health and development initiatives. One is worldview. Second is integration. The third is local ownership, and I'm going to cover these one at a time. The fourth is people. And the fifth is multiplication. Uh, key number one, worldview, recovery of our identity and vocation. Um, as I travel around the world, whether it's uh, evangelical Christians in sub-Saharan Africa, Catholics in Latin America and the Philippines, um, uh, Buddhists in Southeast Asia, Hindus in South Asia, Muslims um, in the Middle East, Central Asia, Indonesia. Uh, many times in the developing world, um, the major religion is only a veneer over animism. The understanding that um, spirits control my health, my wealth, my luck, my fortune. And so instead of investing themselves using the resources that they have to make their life better, they invest themselves trying to appease the spirits um, that would harm them and buddy up to the ones that would do them well. Um, you think um, in, a, in a Hindu context about the Dalit and the untouchables. Uh, why are they low caste? It's karma. So how do you change that? How do you change that? The Christian message is that you have been made in the image of God as a steward 
a manager of the resources that God has given us. And that is the beginning of development. The understanding that we're made in the image of God and that we're stewards of resources. Um, And so that means that as community health and development workers, we need to look beyond their need. Because sometimes what we do is reinforce um, their dependencies and their sense of hopelessness and their fatalism uh, by instead of coming along and, and, and helping them identify their assets and, and create their own solutions and work together against their own problems, we deliver them a service. And they become, as a result of our um, perpetual giving, passive recipients rather than active uh, participants in the development process. Let me tell you about a place in Mexico, Rocky Point, um, Mexico. A friend of mine who's working there came and said he wanted to do Che in Rocky Point, and I said, that is absolutely the hardest place on earth to do development. Because what was happening is that churches all along the West Coast and through uh, the, the Midwest were flooding Rocky Point with all kinds of relief. There are 50,000, 56,000 people in Rocky Point, um, and there's one organization there that was feeding people 8,000 meals a day. Um, When we got gatekeepers together in Rocky Point to assess the problem and to, to think about a possible solution to reviving the economy and helping people stand on their own, Um, we learned that there were warehouses full of clothes um, on the outside waiting to be dumped in Rocky Point. But when they went to the invasion area, to the barrios, to see what was going on, clothes had become disposable. They were wearing the clothes, and instead of washing them and wearing them again, they were throwing them away and going and getting more clothes from the uh, relief that was being brought in. The government of Mexico said, stop bringing your relief in here because you're killing our textiles industry. And if you're bringing in food from the outside, uh, feeding 8,000 mouths a day, uh, what are you doing to, to the producers in Mexico? What are you doing to the retail in Mexico? What are you doing to, you, you see the point? But the other problem is, that rather than making the people active participants in their own development, taking responsibility and using the resources that God has given them, we make them passive recipients. Have you ever had the experience when you're giving aid, you stop giving it, they get mad at you? That's a sure indication that you've made them a passive uh, recipient. So we need to see people... um, as made in the image of God and stewards of resources. And that means rather than asking the question when we begin, what do you need? We need a new perspective. That's why the dog is wearing pink glasses. It's giving him a new perspective. The perspective that we need is not to begin with their needs, but to begin with their assets. To ask the question, what do you have? Rather than what are your problems? Just think about that. If you have a list of problems um, and you've known their problems, 
but now they're staring in you, staring you in the face because it's a, it's a long list. What kind of feeling does that create in you? On the other hand, if you have a list of assets, I have this, 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 and I can correlate that to this, and I can solve that problem, then you begin to motivate. And people begin to take initiative and to work against their own problems. So we coming in from the outside need a new perspective. The second key is integration, working across the disciplines. I've already talked about this some, so I'll run through this, but complex problems require integrated solutions. Integrated solutions require multidisciplined approaches. Integration begins with me. What I had to learn as a Christian was that God was not calling me just to evangelism, but also to social action. And you know what I fear? Twenty years ago, I was yelling at evangelicals who were planting churches with no social conscience. You've got to do social action. You know what's happening with the next generation of young people here in America? Social action is very easy. In fact, it's expected. Companies, baseball teams, everybody has got to give back to the community. I want to do social action. I want to get involved there. But... Evangelism is proselyting, which is, that's the hard thing. And we can't let the the pendulum keep swinging from one side to the other. Evangelism or social action. We have to have the internal fortitude and the will to obey our Lord Jesus and do everything he has commanded us. To hold those things together in tension. And no matter where you work, there are going to be forces working against you on one side of things or the other. But we want to remain in the radical middle. Integration begins with me. I have to will inside that it's not going to be either or. It's, It's going to be both and. And when I go into a community... And I'm an evangelist, but their problem is agriculture. I've got to be willing to cross that line. I may not have all the answers, and I may be running for specialists. But, but I have got to be willing to get out of my foxhole and allow my ministry to integrate. This is Papua New Guinea. And I told you what happened when I went to the health department there. When I came back, actually, one of the first things that happened after we negotiated with the government, I was taken up into the eastern highlands to a district called Lufa. And the health officer in the, in the district said to me, uh, we have been trying, the government has been trying for 30 years to get people here to use latrines. Um, and only 3% of the population is using them. I said, Why? He said, because traditional belief here says that evil spirits inhabit human waste and hide in dark corners. So if I build a latrine, I'm building a spirit house that nobody wants to go into. The problem was a spiritual problem. And the health department could not address a spiritual problem because it was not part of their worldview. And so when I came back uh, a year later... That same health officer, and I can't tell you whether it's the truth or not. I don't have the data to back it up. 
but I know he was rejoicing, jumping up and down with a smile on his face, we have 100% compliance. And uh, I knew that what I was seeing was not just a physical change, but it was a change of heart. Somehow the people had been taught that uh, Jesus, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Um, They had taught to to be overcomers, and they had overcome their fear um, to do what was in their own best interest. Here's the thing. In Bible college and in seminary, nobody ever told me that a pit latrine would be an indicator of spiritual growth. I measured spiritual growth by the number of people coming to church, the, the amount of offering, um, you know, the, the, those kinds of things. I was taught to live in my evangelism foxhole. But when we do that out there, we can't even disciple the people to follow Christ. Until we begin to touch these kinds of things, we don't even enter into spiritual warfare. Because these are the things holding the community hostage. Here's another example. This is in the district of Hanganofi. When our teams began to work in Hanganofi, Uh, there had been tribal warfare, 26 different tribes warring for 16 years. In that valley, the only school had been shut down and no child had been educated in 16 years because of the tribal war that was going on. I came back a year later and this is what I saw. Now, you're going to say, what has this got to do with community health? If you're worried about somebody putting a spear in your back, you're not going to take the time to build a pit latrine. So if I came there to help them build pit latrines, but I'm not willing to deal with the problem of peace, I'm not going to get the problem solved. Do you see the integration? And so our, our teams worked with them. When I came back, this was a footpath between two uh, villages that had previously been warring. And not only had they gone down to the bottom of the mountain and brought rocks up and built this retaining wall, but they had decorated this footpath. And the fence that you see there is to keep the pigs in the right place, another thing that we had had taught them. And I thought to myself when I saw this, um, that there has been a spiritual transformation in the valley. Nobody in all of my Bible college or seminary education ever told me that a footpath would be an indicator of spiritual growth. But that night, they took me out into an open field with Dr. Bill Bieber, who's actually the one who did this program on the ground. And the people from the different tribes were gathered in a big open field. And one of the tribal chiefs uh, made a presentation. He held up the bow and arrows he has in his hand. I have them on my wall in my office now. And he said, our forefathers gave us these weapons and taught us to use them. And then he took one arrow and he said, this is the kind that we use to kill pigs. He put it back and he took out another one and he said, this is the one we use to kill each other. And then he put it all together and he handed it to me and he said, I want to give this to you because you've come here and you've taught us a different way of life. You've taught us to live at peace with one another. 
you see the integration. The breadth and the total transformation of a, a true community health and development program. Another key to success is local ownership. People need to be um, subjects rather than objects of the development process. And that means that the people need to be involved in the whole uh, cycle from beginning to end. Needs assessment, planning, resource acquisition, management, implementation, multiplication and diffusion, evaluation. They need to be managing that whole process, which means that our role is to facilitate their process, not to deliver a service. Local ownership requires active participants rather than passive recipients. It's demonstrated through volunteerism, and it's strengthened through training and capacity building. If you're going to facilitate a process by which they identify resources and put together a plan, um, the way you will strengthen what they are doing is to come alongside them with training and with ideas that help them achieve what it is that they have set out to do. And no, no community is an island. Um, and I would never stand here and say that we shouldn't bring in outside resource. Um, but I will say this, that if we bring it in too soon or we bring in too much, we kill local initiative. And we make people passive recipients rather than active participants. So there has to be a mindset that changes. There has to be hope. There has to be an understanding that I am a steward. There has to be people coming in and pointing out the local resources that are available to them and helping, those, helping them manage those resources to achieve um, their own goals and objectives. I don't have time to tell you about Central Asia, so I won't. <laughs> um, but we'll go to people before projects. Um, building capacity instead of delivering services. Um, a lot of times in development, when, um, uh, when, they, when they map out a project, we're going to put in so many wells in so much time. We need this much money. The donors give this much money, and we go over there, and we get it done on our timeline um, according to our uh, thinking and objectives. I can't tell you – well, I could count probably, but there are – wells that have been put in all over the world that are not being used because somebody put it in for the people instead of encouraging the people to do it for themselves. And the people had no understanding. I, I, I remember going into Laos uh, with a team, saw a hand pump that had been put in by USAID. The handle was broken. It took our team five minutes with no tools to fix the handle. And then we sat down and said, how long has it been broken? Oh, about six months. Well, how come you haven't fixed it? It's not ours. Where are you getting your water? Over there. You could see the microbes. I mean, they were huge microbes. <laughs> Biggest ones you ever saw floating in the water. And they say, you know, our fathers drank from that water and our grandfathers drank from that water. It's good enough for us. Um, and so we're not there to deliver services. We're there 
to build people. And that means we're looking for different outcomes. What are we looking for? We're looking for shared vision, a community that sees a better future and has a hope that it can be achieved. We're looking for leadership, godly Christian leaders who are positioned and equipped to lead the community toward the accomplishment of its vision. We're looking for ownership, people taking responsibility for their own health and well-being. We're looking for cooperation, people united and working together for the common good. We're looking for volunteers, significant numbers of people taking initiative and acting sacrificially to meet the legitimate needs of others. We're looking for dignity, people who have recovered their identity as made in the image of God and their vocation as stewards of creation. Instead of being controlled or victimized by their environment, they become stewards of it. We're looking for skills and uh, learning and people who are equipped to identify their own needs and resources, put together a plan, mobilize volunteers and accomplish their vision. And we're looking for Christian community and witness, believers that are meeting together for fellowship and prayer and Bible study and worship and sharing Christ with their neighbors in word and deed. Those are the outcomes that we're looking for. Not the number of wells or the number of feedings or the number of agricultural lessons we taught. We're looking for people. Uh, who have recovered their identity and their vocation and have taken responsibility uh, for their own lives. So that requires a completely different process. If you want to know about that, you can sign up for CHE training, and we'll be happy to teach you how to facilitate this process. You can go to our website, um, chenetwork.org, click on the training tab, um, and there are training events happening across the country at different times, and you can get involved. But better outcomes lead to greater impact. When you have people with vision who are working together, who are volunteering, um, who are taking responsibility, who have uh, dignity, who have leadership, then you begin to see churches established and strengthened. Health improves. Infant mortality decreases. Agriculture becomes more productive. Jobs are created. Water systems, roads, schools, and clinics are built. Peace, justice, compassion, and righteousness are witnessed in the community, and God is glorified. So we want to get there, but we've got to get there by the right process. And the fifth key is multiplication. We don't have time to talk about that, um, but that means we're looking beyond sustainability. Sustainability is not the end game. Yep. We're looking for simple, transferable concepts of maximizing the use of local resources, solutions passed along neighbor to neighbor, and so that's the key is to... Uh, to the initiative. I don't have time to go through this, um, so I won't. Uh, but if you have any questions, I'll hang out here. I wanted to leave some time for questions, but I'm on the nose right now. So. Thank you.